0: this episode is brought to you in part by our daily bread ministries experience the joy and freedom that comes from a faith that
1: perseveres check out unshakable moxie growing a resilient faith at unshakablemoxie.com from our daily bread ministries visit
0: unshakablemoxie.com
1: welcome to grace enough podcast and the 12 days of christmas in july series brought to you by schoolhouseteachers.com. A firm Christian-based worldview is the springboard needed in today's world, which can be attained with a schoolhouseteachers.com education. Use code EXPLORE to pay only $179 for a two-year Ultimate Membership during schoolhouseteachers.com Explore the World BOGO event. This is an incredible savings opportunity. Sign up now and receive a complimentary Explore the World tote while supplies last. Certain restrictions will apply. With your SchoolhouseTeachers.com membership, you can create your own homeschool schedule using over 400 unique courses, videos, lap books, unit studies, and more. One price covers the entire family, giving you immediate access to hundreds of resources, including virtual school boxes for kindergartners through high schoolers. Sign up at schoolhouseteachers.com using code EXPLORE today. Now, let's jump in to our 12 Days of Christmas in July series. Thank you for taking this 12 days of Christmas in July journey with me. I hope you've loaded up on gifts you need for the fall and Christmas season. Today, we will close the series with Imani Collective. And wow, what a way to end. Jenny drops some gems and gives us a glimpse into the work going on in Kenya. If you aren't already following Grace Enough on Instagram, hop over and follow at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber. There you will find information on how you can win products from each of the last 12 episodes. Good evening, Jenny, and welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. I know it's great. We've had a lot of conversation before we even get going. And um, I just said we should be recording, but um, we'll get into some of those things. And so let's just start right off with um, you are the founder of Imani Collective. And I love to share with everyone during this series, like what is the mission behind what you're doing? Yeah, that's always good. I love, I I don't know why I like. What is the mission? It's just the mission.
0: Um, yeah, you know, Amani Collective is a socioeconomic women empowerment program, and we're here to provide dignified work for women. Um, and that's through crafting ethical lifestyle goods. And the beauty of, I just believe every time someone asks me that and why I like kind of just sit in awe of that moment Mm -hmm. is because that is not what Amani collective started out as it was not to be an ethical brand. Um, and I tell this all the time in my story because I think people think they have to have it all figured out when they go out there, but I just put one step in front of the other. And what Amani collective started to do is it saw, I saw a gap and I just went alongside my friends and we started a training program. So we started as a training program and then I just saw more gaps and more gaps. And we organically grew into the brand we are today and being a leading ethical impact brand, which is beautiful and totally God's story because I, that was not my plan. Um, but yeah, so
1: that is who we are. Well, so tell us a little bit of the backstory about how it did get started because it's really mostly based in Kenya, correct? Like you all don't have other artisans in other places. Not yet. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. (laughs) So tell us a little of the backstory.
0: Oh, man. So I started traveling to Kenya in 2009. I was working with a school and working with um, a good, some good friends, Chris and Lisa, who just are so dear to my heart and really um, just showed me the beautiful culture of Kenya and how to go in and truly listen and respect that culture. And so um, I started with just children and children education, and that is not my background. Uh, but I just really just sat and listened. And one of, when I went back in 2010, so my story is that my time grew every time I went back, it was like two weeks, a month, three months. Oh, you're living there. Like, that's what happened. So it was like, I hilarious. love it. Cause it's so not my personality.
1: I could, like You must yeah. be a seven on the enneagram. I, that is my
0: wing. I am a wing seven. Um, so it was very progressive. Uh, but what's interesting is some people like my husband, he, he like knew he needed to be in Kenya, like right away. Like he was just like, that's where I need to be. And for me, I say it was a wrestling in my spirit of just, I was very comfortable. I knew what I was doing. Um, in the States and I was growing in this way and that way, and just had a beautiful friend group. And so when I got to the point of even moving, um, in 2013, it was a, it was a big sacrifice for me to let go of this comfort that I had, but the growth of what, what happened is when I went in 2010, And I was there for a month. They asked me to develop kind of child sponsorship profiles. So I got the privilege of going and just sitting in these homes and I would walk home with a kid and see how long they walked. And I would sit with their families. And over that course of that month, I realized that the kids that were struggling the most were coming from single widowed or disabled women homes and even disadvantaged homes. They might've been married, but their husband was disabled or they might've been married, Mm -hmm. but they their husband was in and out of jobs and they had eight kids, you know, just really disadvantaged situations. And as much as I love child sponsorship and I call that like the sexy way to give, and it's a beautiful way to transform communities <laughs> of giving that kid the opportunity. But I just, at that time, I didn't realize I was asking the questions of like, well, how are we creating sustainable you know, as how are we creating sustainability and sustainable communities? And at that time, that is not how I would phrase it, but I mm-hmm. just knew I was like, okay, everyone focuses on the kids. But every month these kids are getting sent home from school because these, you know, their school fees are not getting paid. And mm. even though they had sponsorship, that was only covering like the extra stuff, like the the food and the clinic and the resources. But the the woman was still responsible to pay that like dollar. Right. Which yeah. I believe in that because I also believe we want to empower and not, not fall into the handout mentality. So mm-hmm. I was like, I get that, but what if that woman one doesn't have the opportunity to pay that dollar. And then they have like three kids in your school. That's even harder. And what if they have never been educated? So they don't even know the value of education or see the value of why they're sending their kid there. Mm -hmm. And I just started asking those questions. And so I became friends with these women over the years. And they, I think they really saw me as unique and different because anyone that comes on like a short-term trip is always like, Oh, I'll see you soon. Or I'll be back. Which by the way, Short trip 101, never say that to people because they totally believe you're going to come back. Mm. And then guess what? You like let them down because you don't come back. So I would never tell them that, but I would always come back. So they're like, wow, this girl keeps coming back. She (laughs) keeps showing back up. And so I think I just built, I didn't realize what was happening, but I was building trust over those years and I was building those friendships. And that's how I met the first, I call them our pioneers, the first 16 women of Imani Collective. And to this day, all of those women are still with us. And so it is really fun because I wanted to, I was like, who's paying attention to them? Like, because if we can pour into a woman and they understand the value of education and they can actually provide for it, that's going to change generations and the mindsets Mm. of generations to come. So, yeah,
1: so that's how it started. That is awesome. So when, what year was it when you actually launched?
0: Yeah. So I sold everything and moved, uh, that was May of 2013. So in preparation that year, um, the beginning of that year, and then we launched the end of May. So May 28th, 2013. So we just celebrated our eight years
1: a couple months ago this year, you know, so what did that look like? Did you just have a couple of women early on or was it all 16 of those were people that you had met? So, uh, I'm a risk taker by I nature.
0: It. I like, even like now I'm taking like pretty big rest and I'm like, whoo! like I look back at I like, 20, I, <laughs> I look back at 2013 and like, I thought these things, are, which were, were, were risky. I tell people there's a beauty in being naive. I was just telling this to someone today. Cause I was like, I was so naive of what I was walking into, but also so that guarded me from being too realistic of what was in front of me and being afraid. Right. Yeah. Um, because I, there was uncomforts, but I don't believe some people will be like, talk about being afraid, like um, and talk about the courage of that. And it took a lot of courage. And I do talk about walking through your fears a lot to people. But for me, it was just like being willing to be uncomfortable because I wasn't, oddly enough, I wasn't afraid of anything. So that was where my like guardedness <laughs> of like being super naive. So I took a big risk. I sold everything. I left one box at my mom's house. So sold my truck, all those things, and I used that to start. So I bought 16 Singer sewing machine, wrapped them up on motorbikes, got them to the village. And I started with those 16 women and it started back before that. So that was 2013, 2012. When I was there for three months, I had done like a kind of a trial run of like, okay, if we did something for women, what would it look like? And I had no idea again, no background in this, but like I started I met with the chief of the village and I sat with him and I asked him, hey, like, would you want your women to work or would you want your women to even learn? Like, would this be culturally acceptable? You know, like if we tried something and they were really supportive. And so we just started once a week. We met like 10 to 12 times, like once a week we met and we just gathered for like two or three hours and we would sing or we would make stuff or it was just I wanted to get, you know, get to know them. And I I said, you're going to learn something new every day. I didn't tell them what it was. Like, again, sometimes we're just saying, sometimes we created bracelets, whatever. Um, Sometimes we painted. It was just a very odd thing that they were hanging out with me, but it started with 60 women. So six zero in the beginning of that summer. It started with 60. And by the end of the summer, so that's just 2012. By the end of the summer, the meeting once a week, there were 16 of them. And I said, okay. I said, if I come back, because I don't know if I will because I I was fighting that, you know, fighting that <laughs> battle of like I'm really comfortable here but I said if I come back, you guys I'm going to invite you in and I'm going to come to your house and we're going to start something beautiful and I don't know what it is and I don't know what it looks like. So, um yeah, I came back a year later and invited those 16 women. I can remember going to like Christine's homestead and like walking in and like seeing her like right by her hut and she saw me and I like surprised them and they just knew they had more hope than I did in the beginning. I say they were the ones that carried me through when I was like flat face on my um flat on my face in the dirt. But um Wow. So then we I started mean, did you
1: even know how to sew
0: basic, <laughs> very basic. Um I learned how to sew with my grandma in fifth grade when I Same. made t shirt t shirt pillows. Like yeah. I had to do, um, it was funny looking back when I was did like, did you ever make the
1: bag? You know, like you, all, I, we always made the tote. It was like, yeah, the real no, generic
0: tote. I actually never made a tote. This okay. was it. Like I had to think of a business
1: plan in fifth grade. We had this
0: like business fair and I was like, what's really easy. What can I do? Oh, I have cool t-shirts. I'm going to stuff them with like, little, the stuffing yep. and then I'm just going to sew the sides and boom, a t-shirt pillow that has cute sayings. on it. So that's what I created literally straight lines, just on the, and that's all I knew. So I learned, um, I learned with my women, I hired, um, one of the women in the village was a really good seamstress already. So I hired her as like my director to start and we taught together. So I had like the designs of what I wanted to do again, no background in design, but just had a concept of like what I was seeing was trending and just started.
1: Yeah, that is so great. I mean, it's just so outside of my personality, even though some people would be like, oh, yes, you, you do those things. I'm like, no, I mean, I don't, I mean, like to a certain degree, but I mean, what all do you guys make? Because some people are probably listening and they're like, this is a cool story, but what do you put out there? So we used to be very traditional. Like you saw us, you knew we were made
0: somewhere in Africa. We were very bright, um, very Katanga, which is the traditional fabric, mm-hmm. um, that's what we started with. And I think as any, I call like artisan craft brands or whatever as any craft brand, um, (laughs) which is now I hate the word craft. So never call my business a craft business. I will I will have, we a talk overuse thing you. some things. That's for yes. sure. We beat um, them to death. Yes. Yeah. So with those brands though, I feel like we all start with generic stuff, right? We're going to start with a toe. We're going to start with a wallet. We're going to start with that. So we did very, like very simple things. And then I went to our first show wholesale show and realized, wow, we are in over our heads. (laughs) That's what's happening here. And realize that (laughs) I, I didn't want to just be put in a box of like, oh, that's just an African craft business. Mm -hmm. What I wanted to break the stigma of and what people see with businesses coming from Africa in general, I know that's 54 countries. So not to like generalize, but this is how they generalize Africa is that they say, oh, well that's made in Africa. So you're not going to give me quality. You're not going to give me consistent consistency, and you're never going to be on time. And those are the three things that I said, watch me. We're going to do all of those. Um, and so after that, I basically called my friend Haley and she was my first hire. And I said, I have no money to pay you. I'm not even paying myself at this point. You know, I have no money to pay you. (laughs) Um, but you're a designer and I know your heart. And will you rebuild this whole thing with me? So this was 2016, and we completely turned rebranded Amani Collective in three months. I we've got like flew her out to Kenya. We lived in the workshop. I have pictures of Jaden, like he was like maybe I think it was a like, nine months at that time, like sleeping on me, like sleeping in the workshop, just like reinvented yeah. our whole brand and then relaunched it. And it was it was really successful, or just really took off. People like really noticed it and they came to us and then they were shocked that we were made in Kenya. Because if you go to our website, we look very Target-esque, Magnolia, Mm -hmm. like very black, white, Ikea, Because what we realized is one, we wanted to be able to create consistency and we knew we could find canvas. We knew we could screen print and we knew we could inspire people by doing that. And so, and we also had to think logistically of what can we get over at this time? Because at that time we weren't sending like container freights or things like that. We were doing everything by air. So it was like, what can we send that is also light? And, you know, so we had to think through some of that. So you will go to our site and we are mainly hang signs and banners Um, And over this next year, what's going to be fun is we're going to be bringing in more of our wovens again. So if you ever visit us in Kenya, we have a full weaving department and we have almost 20 people in our weaving department, but we don't sell one woven piece in our global market because of shipping and logistics. If you go visit our Kenya shop and you walk into our workshop, we have a, a gift shop there and workshop in all of our local markets in Kenya. We sell all of our rugs. We sell our blankets. We have woven wall hangings, like beautiful stuff. We also we have another location that's up North in Turkana. That's our third location. We opened this last year and we make beautiful woven baskets with the the natural reeds up there. So we do a lot of stuff in the background that like no one realizes we do because they're like, Oh, they just make hang signs and banners, um, which is all that you can readily get right now. But that is in the making of like being now that we've switched some logistics in the back end and being able to bring that to market on a global scale. So we're really excited about that.
1: That's really cool. Well, now don't you guys also do like little
0: stuffies for kids? Oh yeah. So we do do pillows, um, which has been fun. That's actually how, when we rebranded, that was like the llama pillow is actually how we developed like our brand around that pillow. And we love making interactive, um, interactive kind of pillow. So we have like, we used to have an interactive house, but we still have like an interactive, like rocket and astronaut guy. And we're coming up with like some new stuff with like Safari vans and like interactive, um, little pillow people inside. But the reason we like that is when we rebranded, we knew both me and my partner Edamani is like, we are both really, well, I mean, we're busy mothers and we're modern moms. <laughs> and so we are like, Okay. we both have at that time, kids under two, like, and kids on the way, like we're both pregnant. Like, what does this look like moving forward? And we wanted to get away from plastic and we wanted to be mindful Mm -hmm. of also environmental standards. And we wanted something that looked good and aesthetic in the home, but was also fun for the kid to play with. And so that's kind of how we developed the brand to be more elevated.
1: Oh, so cool. I just love stories like that too, because, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about when you think like, I see this and I know that it's African, um, just because of the way, like you said, the the way that it looks, the natural fabrics, it's just Mm -hmm. like when you see something made in India, a lot of times, you know, because of the way the fabrics are, right. It's really cool. I mean, I would love to know, like, how did the women really receive something that's so unique really to the Western world, that very plain. And so that can be really, really cool.
0: So another business I own is the school of ethical impact. And a lot of my students that I teach, um, are social entrepreneurs that they have a brand international brand or local, like Western us brand, but it's giving back in some way it has impact. But for my international, um, students, they talk about, or my students working with international brands, they just talk about like, how do we preserve culture? Mm -hmm. um, and that's really important. And my 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 combat question to that is one, have you radically listened and asked your, you know, your artisans like how much they care. That's a really harsh way to say that on the other side, how many of your customers are asking for that as well? Like, is that a sustainable model for you? Because I think you can preserve culture, but you can elevate it in a a beautiful way of like that masterpiece and that work. So for our seamstress, like that's just sewing, they were sewing all different things, Katenge, they're not like extremely attached to, and they don't see that as like stripping them away from their culture. Like we were just giving them a new product to learn. And in fact, they loved it because our quality is so much higher and we expect so much more. And so they're like, it was a different way of sewing and looking at how you're even like folding those corners of the hang signs and the grommets. It was just, they had never done stuff and they love being like iterating and being innovative and creative and learning something new that that is not of the cultural norm. So it was like, that was really exciting for them on the other side for our weavers, what I was seeing and why we developed our weaving department. When we started with our looms in 2016, weaving was a dying art in Kenya, Mm -hmm. all of weavers. Like I knew almost all the weaving cooperatives. Actually, I knew all the, I know all the weaving cooperatives in Kenya. And like most of the weavers are 50 or above. And so like my my heartbeat was like, we need to start t- training the younger generation of how to weave, and so we have a lot of weavers from like 25 to 40 now that are now learning that trade and being able to pass that on. Some being my the boys that I was mentioning with my with my husband, and so all that to say. I think when you're looking at the uniqueness of it and it's exciting for them. And then there's, it's really fun to see them be creative of like bringing in, especially also weaving, right. Bringing in their natural weave, but us coming alongside and like, have we thought about this or designing in this way? And, and them getting excited of seeing other elevated designs, but them doing it, like we all we get to do on like a weaving side is like, give them the ideas and they like take off of it. And a sewing side, we do a lot of creative iteration with them. The fun part is like, okay, llama, like you're inter- you're educating and introducing them to so many funny <laughs> things. Like I, we had a custom product um, cause we do custom collaborations. And it was like, I love being a plant lady or something like that. And they were like, What does this mean? Like, what is a plant lady? Like, and explaining like the funny terminology of like sayings is the, it's just a highlight of my, of my day when I'm like, oh my gosh, like this seems ridiculous to them, but it's just like such a fun, like cross-cultural experience for them.
1: Yeah. Well, and I mean, it makes total sense that you can preserve culture and also introduce new things. We do it all Mm. the time ourselves. Um, I mean, it's very, very normal, even just as you've watched sewing evolve over the last a hundred years, like my grandmother could sew anything by hand, but yeah, she eventually learned to use a sewing machine, you know, weaving by hand versus then starting to use looms. And it's, um, normal for that to happen, but right. definitely important to really pay close attention to preserving that culture. And so you've said some things, but what is it that you really love about what you're doing?
0: Uh, I think really it's just, it all started with connection, community, and being fully present, right. With not just yourself, but your people. And I always say, and and listening, um, I mm. think I know Amani collective would not be here today. If we, if I never listened. If I was just like, Nope, this is my way. And like, if I was never a lifelong learner, if I never allowed people to critique, um, whether I take their critiques or not, but you know, like being, right. being a learner in that. So I think what I love to do now in my position is Imani collective is fully sustainable. I have no reason to be in Kenya, to be honest. It's just like a selfish, reason of me being there and being a part of the culture, because my whole point was to train local leaders to lead well, um, to connect them to our team in the United States and then me not be that middle person anymore. And that's what's happening. And so I just had a team meeting with like all my Kenyan leaders this morning. And so it was just beautiful. Yeah. It's just beautiful meeting with them and seeing them and just hearing, um, where they're at and catching up. And so my joy is to make sure we always keep the culture, that contagious culture that we've created. We always come at anything that we're creating at a holistic approach. And I get to do the fun part now of continued vision and strategically plan so that we, our impact just continues to grow. Um, and then they get to do the joy of what they love to do and implement that and be side by side with their people. And so I get the joy of living there and being in community. Um, yeah. but I don't have to do all the like nitty gritty sleeping in the workshop so much anymore. So uh, right.
1: you've put in yeah. the hours. That's yeah. Awesome.
0: So it's fun to just vision and dream. And then to listen to them of like, okay, what do you, where do you see yourself in ten years? I love sitting with our leaders and with our artisans. We did a, it was a time we did a time box. What are those things? A time capsule, and we had to explain. We did that in the beginning of this year. We had to explain to our artisans what a time capsule was, and I challenged <laughs> them and we, to write a letter to themselves in ten years and to dream and before artisans or anyone enters our program, that's a really hard concept to dream because they're most likely in a very, um, low state Mm -hmm. and a basic needs state. And they haven't developed past that for their psychological needs and more. And so when they get past that and they can dream, like a lot of people that letter, you know, actually came easier for them than it would like a couple of years ago. And they had a, they had fun. And so I have pictures of them dropping their letters in the time capsule. And, um, yeah. So it's just fantastic. really, it's really exciting to just see them dream and continue to carry on the vision.
1: Yeah. And I mean, another good question is like, I think about these women who've been with you from the beginning, um, as someone who may be purchasing from Imani collective, tell us a little bit about the impact that purchasing from you guys really makes on the lives and the families of these people who work for you.
0: Yeah. So we have a different model than most people do. Um, so most fair trade ethical impacts models, which are beautiful, but most of them are piecework trend, like piecework, fair trade models where they work with cooperatives, um, that they're partnering with, or if they are a program, they're paying piecework like per unit. Um, and I mm-hmm. have always, from the very beginning, again, risk taker have guaranteed that my women are going to have a consistent salary, no matter our sales. Wow. That has been really, really hard. Um, mm-hmm. but I've never let that promise go. They have mm-hmm. always gotten a month's salary, even if that meant my food wasn't on the table, but theirs was. So there has been really hard moments and hard years in that, you know, when you reflect on that. But I believe in consistency because then they can from consistency and from walking alongside them month after month, that they can actually understand what it means. Like I know, and I trust that this is coming in month after month, which means I can foundationally say I can plan and I can do financial literacy. And I, Mm. I can understand how to dream because I know I have that coming. When you have piecework, you don't know if, the sales are coming or not. So some months you get paid $10, some months you get paid $200, whatever that looks like for them. And so, so I'm not about transaction. I'm about transformation. And that's why I say, like, we take a holistic approach to empowerment. And so these women that have been with me, um, which are su- it's super fun to see. Um, I remember just in the first year, like from 2013 to 2014, like Lena being able to buy her first mattress for her kids to share instead mm-hmm. of them sleeping on a mat on the ground. And that sounds so little. Um, but like those little things to now being able to buy plots of land and have subs- subs- you know subsistence farming, to now being able to hire her own people to run that farm, you know, like wow. just like really being able, Like that's big. And that takes, that takes the element of being able to critically think and problem solve and dream. And when you're in such a lower level of a state where you don't even know if food's going to be on your (laughs) table, those three things we take for granted that we do so easily in the States, we critically think we problem solve, we pivot we, we can dream. We're taught that as a young age, that is not something they're taught. It's taught, okay, survival of the fittest. You figure out how you're going to get an education and go. And that's not to say, you know, other people coming from Kenya aren't from more privileged situations, but the reality is even as a culture, like that's not what's happening. And that has to be taught over time and Mm -hmm. how that is taught is through community. And Mm -hmm. so I think that is what really is radically different with us is that, you can feel our community and you know, you can just, you feel it. And I I share this a lot in our old, like we have our one main location in old town in that location. We have multiple religions, multiple ethnicities, multiple tribes. And when I first started in 2016, we started with eight women in this one location, um, in the city location. And people would point fingers at people and say, well, I can't work with her because she should be my house help at home. Or I can't work with her because she of a lower caste than I am. And mm-hmm. I can't work with her because religiously, like we don't get along, like all these things, Right. right. And now, when you walk into that workshop to see women in their traditional katenge, to see women in their buoy buoys, to see women wow. like who are working side by side in sisterhood, sisterhood in Swahili Zudada, like you see them walking along by side side by side, and they love one another and they are mm. friends. And that happens within our collective, within the walls. you can feel that contagious spirit of just like what true community and love looks like passing all boundaries, but that disseminates into our, the community that's surrounding because every time they walk in and out of that workshop, that community is seeing what transformation is happening. Mm. And that doesn't, that doesn't happen overnight. You know, that, right. That takes years and years of consistency. Mm -hmm. And so when people purchase, right. When people come and they purchase from us. They're purchasing for the longevity of that sustainability of transforming communities and the way that generations view each other and breaking those stigmas because we're all human. Um, and so it's more than just that life. Like I will say your product, yes, empowers a human empowers a life, but it empowers like actual, like systematic change, Mm -hmm. um, with where we're at. And so
1: that's, what's really beautiful. Oh, I love it. Well, as we close out here, what is one of your favorite products that you sell or maybe uh, one of the most popular? So my favorite product is our
0: blankets, which you can only get in Kenya, but the most
1: popular (laughs) product, which
0: is also my favorite product, which you can get, um, is girl, your world changer. And I like that product because it was actually made by accident it wasn't like part of our plan to make that product. It was like, I don't know, even, I don't even know the the genesis of the story, but we put the product out and it sold out immediately. Um, and it has been our top selling product since then. So know that accidents and mistakes turn into sometimes beautiful successes. So
1: yeah, and I have to ask though, what does the blanket, like, why do you love it so much? Even though we can't get it here because maybe one day we'll be able to,
0: yes, you will be able to soon. I think Haley, if she's listening here, my designer, we have, she has a very particular taste of what she wants to put out into the world, which is good. That's why she's in her position. That's um, right. So she's very careful of like, yeah, what that's looking and the quality of what we're putting out, but I love it because of just the story of really wanting to revive the art of weaving and what that really meant for me and the time it takes to weave that blanket. And I just love the art of it. I think it's more so i I, I stand side by side with my artisans and I get to see them go in and out and make that piece. So there's just, I know the love that's poured into, into that piece. So maybe that's why I love it so much.
1: That's so wonderful. Well, Jenny, thanks so much. Everyone who's listening, go and check out Imani collective. It's I want to make sure they know it's I M A N I correct. And then collective.com. Thank you again for celebrating Christmas in July with me. And good luck on winning the 12 Days of Christmas product bundle. You can find out more about it, that is if you're listening in real time, on Instagram at GraceEnoughPodcast underscore Amber.